Bibles tonight, if you would please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And if you were here with us last week, I finished up last week's sermon with words from Charles Wesley's hymn where he said, Leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole. And the subject last week was the panoply of God, which means the armor of God. And we're told to put on the whole armor of God. And if we're going to uh, be successful in Christian warfare, we have to be sure that every area, the entire armor of God, is put on us, put on us and every area is covered. The whole panoply of, panoply of God. And as Charles Wesley wrote, that we might not leave any weakness in the soul but we would fortify the whole. So the whole armor has to be put on because uh, Satan's attacks will come at every angle. He's always looking for a vulnerable spot. He's looking at, looking for just a crack in your armor, and he's able to slip one of those fiery darts through there, and if he does, he will fail you. Now this evening, we want to talk about preparation from battle, for battle. After I uh, get back from Israel... Uh, we'll begin talking about the different, different weapons of warfare that are outlined in this chapter. But for now, we need to concentrate on the way that we stand defensively, defensively against the uh, inevitable, inevitable attacks that will come. So if you'd stand with me, please, as we read our text verses tonight. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll start with verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for everyone who's come out tonight to hear your word. Lord, lift us up. Help us to learn something here that will help us in Christian warfare. And may each of us be engaged in the fight. And may we be fully covered by the armor that you supply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We fight an unseen enemy. And that's why it's impossible for any of us to know at any one time where Satan's attack is going to come. When you bolstered your defenses in one area then you find out that Satan has picked another area where he, you, he believes that you're vulnerable and he'll come at you where you least expect it. And that's why Paul tells us here to put on the whole armor, to be fully prepared, because when the devil comes, if you are fully covered with the armor of God, if you have all these pieces put on you, then it really doesn't matter if you understand where the attack is coming from or even if you understand how Satan's going to attack you. If you're covered with the whole armor of God, then you have every part and every attack that Satan could possibly bring against you covered. Now, this evening, I do want to talk to you about the defensive posture of the soldier. Paul says back in chapter 5, verse number 15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And when he says walk circumspectly, that means to walk diligently, means to walk carefully. And what it does, it, it really portrays the picture of a soldier like would be in Iraq. And this soldier, as he goes down the highway, he's very much aware that there are landmines on the side of that roadway. He also knows that as he goes through the cities, that there are, are snipers in every window. He knows that the next person that he might meet could be someone who's wearing a suicide vest. 
And this is the idea that, that Paul has in his mind. He says that the, the attack might be direct. You might see where it's coming from, but then you might not. And so you need to be aware and be ready for every eventuality. Now, tonight I want to talk to you about the different attacks that we look for from the devil, and we have to be in an offensive posture to, to, to ward off these attacks. Now, first of all, this evening, there is the attack against God's credibility. Against God's credibility. And really, the, the deepest-seated failure in man is his tendency to distrust God. And the tendency to distrust God goes all the way back to the very beginning. We go back to the Garden of Eden, and we find there that that is the place where man first began to distrust God and to distrust his motives. When uh, Satan came to Adam and Eve, and especially when he came to Eve, he tempted her to eat of the forbidden fruit, and he began to cast doubt in Eve's mind about God's true motives. Uh, Satan said to her, God knows that when you eat of that tree, that you'll become just like him. You'll have knowledge like God has knowledge. You'll become like God, and God wants no rivals. And so, Eve, if you'll just eat of that tree, you can be like God, and you'll never have to answer to God anymore. And so Satan tries to tempt us to distrust God because he knows that when our faith is strong, when we're trusting the Lord as we should, he knows that he can't win against us. The strength of a Christian is his faith. And when faith is weak, that means that the whole man is weak, and that leaves him open to all the temptations and sin that the devil can throw at him. Now, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us uh, what really a Christian can do by faith. Uh, in the 11th chapter of Hebrews uh, that you're all familiar with, I'm sure, uh, the writer gives us examples of what saints did by faith. And then he concludes in that chapter by saying, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness was made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Satan knows that when he can destroy our trust in God, then he has, we have no hope that we can fight against him. So our strongest defense is our faith. And if Satan can convince people that God is a liar, then they will never trust him. And especially they'll never trust him in the first place for salvation. And that's really why that Satan spends so much time trying to pervert the gospel. That's why Satan tries to get God thrown out of our classrooms and out of our courtrooms. And it's why whenever a person's religion, for instance, in this uh, presidential campaign, whenever your religion becomes a litmus test in politics, there are people that will throw up their hands and they'll say, well, we don't want a president who's guided by his faith. Well, I say if a person's not guided by his faith, then what moral compass does he have? We ought to be very much aware uh, of what a person believes and what it is that guides him, because if it's not... God that's guiding the person, then who is guiding him? Well, there's only one other guide out there, and that's why I think we have to be careful about this. So Satan tries to destroy God's credibility. He says, yea, hath God said? Did God really say that? And we come to the conclusion so many times, just like Eve did centuries ago, it really doesn't matter what God says. Well, that's Satan's attack. He tries to destroy God's credibility. Then the second attack that we need to look out for is the attack against our calling. What is a Christian called to do? Well, we could explore a lot of things under that heading. Well, we could talk about how 
He, uh, God calls us to proclaim the gospel of Christ. We've been called to share our faith with others, and Satan tries to discourage us from sharing our faith. We've also been called to uphold a standard of truth, and Satan attacks in that area because he's always trying to water down the Word of God. But what I'm concerned about right now is Satan's attack against our separation. This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So Satan knows if he can destroy our separation, then he can also destroy fellowship with God, because we're not in the place where God will receive us. And so when we don't have fellowship with God, we don't have the power of God. And separation is an issue that goes all the way back into the Old Testament as well. Uh, When God called Israel to be his chosen nation, this is the first thing that he told them. He said, I've called you to be my people, and he started teaching them the doctrine of separation. And we've dealt with that on Sunday nights as we studied Joshua. But God told Joshua, he said, you need to go in and possess Canaan. And he said, you are to drive out all of the Canaanites... I don't want you to live with them. I don't want you to make friends with them. I don't want you to marry them. I certainly don't want you to worship their gods. God said, you are my people, and you are, you're to be separated from the rest of the world. Now, Satan uh, attacked very early in the beginning uh, God's call for Israel to be separate. Remember when they went into the wilderness that Satan tempted, tempted them to intermarry with the Moabites. And then when they did that, uh, God had to send a plague among the people. When they got into Canaan, they didn't do what God said. They, they didn't drive all of the Canaanites out of the land. And so as you go on and you read through the book of Judges, and even further than that, you find out that the Canaanites continued to be a problem to Israel. And because Israel was not separate, they began to worship false gods. When Solomon became the king, and this is, you know, several hundred years after the Judges, uh, Solomon was great in many ways. He built a magnificent temple for God, but Solomon didn't maintain separation. He married foreign wives, and those wives became the undoing of his kingdom. So over and over throughout history, Israel's history, uh, they did not remain true to their calling, and they weren't a separated people. Well, God is telling his people today, and, and that means you and I, as Christians, God is calling us to be a separated people. We're to be sanctified, we're to be holy, we're to maintain separation from the world. And Satan knows that if he can tear down that separation, he can get a foothold and he can work. And so he tries to get Christians to mix with the world. He tries to get our young people to dress like the world, to talk like the world, to to make worldly friends and to go to worldly places. And when he does that, he destroys the testimony and the influence of Christians. And Satan knows that when he destroys the calling of separation, that the gospel will be stopped dead in its tracks. You'll find out that Christians that have the mind of the world are not Christians that fulfill the commission of Christ. These aren't Christians that end up building strong churches. God wants separation. And if you don't put on the whole armor of God, you'll find out very quickly that Satan can attack you in that area of causing you not to be a separated people as you should be. So we need to be true to the calling. Put on the whole armor of God. Young people need to do it so that you can resist the peer pressure that's around you. We need to be holy, sanctified, set apart for God's use, and be vessels that God can use. The Scripture says God is not going to use a dirty vessel And so whenever you have the world's filth on you, 
then you've allowed Satan to win the victory and your separation has been broken down. So we need to watch out for that attack. Third attack that we need to look out for is the attack of doctrinal confusion. And every doctrine of the Word of God is fair game for the devil to play around with and to distort. A few weeks ago, I was talking about how, how the devil messes with regeneration. And, of course, the doctrine of the new birth, that, that's where all of us start in the Christian life. And if you don't know very much about the doctrine of regeneration, at least you know this, you've been affected by it. I mean, you may not have studied it out very well, but if you're saved, you've been affected by the doctrine of regeneration. And so, of course, this is an area uh, where Satan is going to start because that's where Christian life begins. So he starts to, dis- to distort uh, the doctrine of salvation and regeneration. So people ask, how is a person born again? And Satan put his twist on that back in the Garden of Eden uh, when Adam and Eve star- started uh, sewing those fig leaves together. That was their attempt at their own righteousness. And they said, if we can just cover ourselves up, then God will be pleased again. But that doesn't work. And that was Satan's twist on regeneration. Then Satan came along and he put it in the idea, uh, in the minds of people, the idea of baptismal regeneration. And he said, well, if you'll just have somebody sprinkle you, or if you just get dunked in somebody's tank, that's good enough and you can be saved. He started the lie of decisional regeneration. So now we have... Baptists all over the country telling people that faith is the cause of regeneration rather than the effect. And that is a radical difference. There's a huge difference between whether uh, faith is a cause or effect of regeneration. It's a difference between man-centered theology and God-centered theology. But those things are just the tip of the iceberg. You have the charismatic movement and the speaking in tongues and the faith healing. You have the word of faith movement with a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You have distortion about the church. Is it a local church? Is it a universal visible church? Is it a universal invisible church? Which kind of church are we to have? There's a question of baptism. Is it immersion or is it effusion? There's the millennial positions. Is it post-mill, pre-mill, ah-mill? Which one of those is it? Uh, There's heaven, there's hell, there's purgatory, prayers to the dead, uh, prayers to the saints, and mariality. And on and on it goes. All kinds of different doctrines. And then you have the Bible version controversy. And Satan loves that one because he knows if he can destroy the Bible, then he can destroy all true doctrine at one time. Then there's the doctrine of the month club. There's something new and exciting for you every month if you join the doctrine of the month club. So Satan doesn't stop. I mean, he confuses with doctrine. And so what do you have here? You have exactly what Paul warned about. He said, watch out for this, because if you don't, you'll be children tossed to and fro without, with every wind of doctrine, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And isn't that what we see today? Christians have not put on the whole armor of God, and so they haven't defended against false doctrine. And so now we find false doctrine in Baptist churches. We have the hyper-fundamentalist on one side who never saw a rule that they didn't like, and then you have the Rick Warren crowd on the other side who never saw a worldly practice that they couldn't embrace and somehow bring it into the church. And then today you have the preacher groupies that they're the ones, they don't have enough spiritual sense to crack the Bible and to look at the Bible for themselves and, and to study the Word of God, and so they blindly follow their shepherds and they lead them right out into the wilderness. And you know what you can do? You can follow the trail of these people and tell exactly where they're going and where they've been. They leave pieces of their armor everywhere that they go. They leave some of the faith over there, and they leave the gospel, some of it over here. They leave their shield there. They lay down the sword. 
They, they've gotten rid of the KJV. They've tossed that aside. And so the armor is scattered everywhere. I mean, it's just like breadcrumbs. You can follow them around and find out exactly where they went. And where did they go? They followed that blessed God preacher right into hell is where they went. The devil likes to confuse over doctrine. And then there are some people that are so confused, they think doctrine doesn't matter at all. They're totally blind. Right doctrine, wrong doctrine, what does it matter? And that's what happens when you put on the whole armor of God. Then fourthly, there is the attack of division. And where does Satan start with division? He starts inside the church. You know, sometimes people think that the devil hates the church so much that he would never step foot in the door of the church. Well, it's true that Satan does a lot of work outside of the church. There's no doubt about that. But folks, he would rather go to church and be on the inside looking out than the outside looking in. And when you get ready to go to church in the morning, Satan is the first one who gets in the car. He's more anxious to go to church than most Christians are. I mean, how many of you have ever experienced that? Is there anybody here who can tell me that never in your life as a Christian that you haven't gotten a fight on the way to church in the car? Can anybody tell me that you haven't done that? Oh, I've done that lots of times. And Satan is right there as soon as you get in that automobile trying to get you disgruntled and get you upset about something before you get to church. And then what happens when you walk in the church? Oh, let me back up just a minute. I know some of you get mad uh, coming to church. I've seen you get out of the parking lot. I mean, you know, your car's in the parking lot, slamming the doors and leaving the kids' fingers behind as you come in. I've seen that. But you get inside the church, and there, there you have folks, you know, uh, they see somebody sitting in their seat, and they get angry about that. You don't like somebody sitting in your seat. I actually heard the other day, that we had a visitor in our church here, and this visitor sat in someone's seat, and, that, and the member told them, don't sit there, because that's where I sit. And if you don't say anything, you sit there and you stare at them all through the service, and you're throwing darts at them all the time. Satan loves division. I've told you about that, that church in Kentucky that's right next to the Civil War battlefield, and they call it Battle Baptist Church. And that's what happens there almost every Sunday, as far as I know. When, when I knew about that church, they took Christian warfare seriously. They had a battle there. Then there's those two churches in Tennessee. Remember that? Harmony Baptist Church and Harmony Baptist Church number 2. The churches that are right across the street from one another. And they split because they had an argument over which side of the platform the piano was going to sit on. Here's the thing about it. Satan knows that if he can get us busy fighting each other, we don't have time to fight him. So he's always trying to get us to divide. But friends, when you have on the whole armor of God, when you put on the panoply of God, that's when you learn how to keep the peace. You learn how to uh, prefer others over yourself. You learn how to esteem others better than yourself. You learn to consider other people's feelings. You learn to bear one another's burdens. And you're always aware that what Satan is trying to do is to drive a wedge between you and another brother and sister in Christ He's always trying to put that division there. And lots of times, many times, it comes over non-essential preferential issues. And Satan loves to divide over those things. Then number five is the attack of self-dependence. And the devil really likes this attack because he tries to make you think that you really don't even need the armor at all. The armor's heavy. It's cumbersome. And you're a free spirit. You don't need this armor You can do things by yourself. You know how you can spot a self-dependent Christian? A self-dependent Christian is the one who says, Yes, 
I know that God says not to worry. I trust God to take care of me. And then the next word that comes out of their mouth is, but. Yes, God will take care of me, but. And as soon as you put that but in there, that's your statement of self-dependence. You've moved out of the realm of things that God can do into the realm of things that you are going to do by yourself. And so whenever you have attacks of anxiety, then the devil is causing you uh, or bringing you an attack of self-dependence. Now, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto its stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? And so the self-dependent person is the one who leans on his own understanding. If he does pray, he prays with doubt. This is usually the Christian that has pretty good knowledge of God's word, but it's a Christian who never knows how to put the word into practice in his life. And you know, we have members like this right here at Berean Baptist Church. They're what you call cold Christians because they've been around church long enough that they've seen it all. They're not going to get too excited about things and they aren't going to listen very much and they're not going to try anything new. They know everything already. And so they're cold, they're complacent, they're self-dependent Christians. They haven't seen or heard from the Holy Spirit in years. So they wouldn't know what it meant to get excited about things. So when I stand up here and I say, put on the whole armor of God, they're sitting back there and they say, yeah, 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 I know, I know. And they've grown fat and lazy. And what happens is they can't fit into their armor anymore. There, they've got those old love handles on them now and they can't squeeze into the armor any longer. Well, these are folks that have their theology, but they don't know how to use it. Now, one of the things I really love about the Puritan writers is they had some great theology, but they also believed that theology was supposed to produce some zeal, and it should produce a demonstration of godliness in their lives. They put their theology into practice. And most of those men weren't holed up in a university somewhere, a teaching. These were men, most of the writers were pastors of churches. And, and they put their faith into practice. They, they showed the people how to live, and, and they were working through that every single day of their lives. Well, Satan is going to attack us with self-dependence, and so we need to have the armor on so we don't try to depend upon ourselves. Then number six is the attack of deception. And here I'm talking about hypocrisy in the church. I don't know how many times that I've heard people say, I'm not going to go to church because they're hypocrites at the church. And they don't care if there's hypocrites at work, and they'll still go to work. And they don't care about hypocrites at the mall, they'll still go to the mall. But I do understand this. I mean, I I understand the sentiment about this, because people that are on the outside, they do expect church members to be sincere. They expect that there will be something different about our lives. I mean, after all, that's what we claim. And they expect us to live by a higher higher standard, and they're going to hold us to that standard, whether they can live to the standard or not. They do expect it from us. But Satan loves to infiltrate the church with hypocrisy. Now, he tries to get unbelievers into the church too, but Satan is much more effective when he can get people in the church that are hypocritical. These are the play-acting Christians. These are the folks, you know, that tell you, oh, we support the church. We love our church. 
But all the time they're saying we love the church. They're cutting you down. They're stabbing a knife in your back. And, you know, I've met those kinds of people. I'm not making a complaint here. Uh, Not at all. It's not a complaint because I've been around church long enough, like many of you have, that I understand this very well, that it doesn't make any difference what church you go to. Satan has plants there. So I, I, I'm not concerned about it from that. I'm not discouraged by it, let me say. But these are the people that, you know, they're really sweet to your face. They appear to be godly people, and they look like they're working for the Lord. But when you're preaching, they're mumbling under their breath how much they disagree with you. And then when they leave the building, why, they don't have any trouble talking to other members about it, about their disagreements. They're very disgruntled and very unhappy. And yet, they'll never come to you and express the disagreement to your face. And they'll never bring their Bible with them to sit down with you and say, well, here's why I think you're wrong about that. Watch out for deceptive Christians because one of the easiest ways for Satan to work is to get a trusted, seasoned Christian disgruntled. And the reason why it is so dangerous because that person, that person who's been around a long time, usually has the ear of inexperienced Christians. They get the confidence and the respect of an inexperienced Christian, and that person can do a lot of damage. So make sure that your armor on and is on and make sure defenses are up, because if you don't, you'll get sucked into complaining and negativity. Paul met with the Ephesian elders at Miletus. He says in Acts chapter 20, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So there's an attack outside of the church, but there is most definitely one that comes from the inside. Also of your own selves shall men arise. So watch out for those kinds of hypocritical Christians, deceptive Christians. And then let's look here at uh, number seven, which is the attack of disobedience. Now let me say something, though, before we get into that. Uh, This just kind of comes to my mind is that when you hear a, a disgruntled Christian in the church begin to talk about one of the leaders of the church or talk about the pastor of the church, the thing that you ought to do is to defend the pastor and to defend the leader. And the reason you ought to do that is because the pastor may not even be aware that there is an attack out there. And a lot of damage can be done simply because we, don't, we can't control it because we don't know about it. I think one of the responsibilities of God's people is that we defend each other. We watch out and protect one another's reputations. We ought to do that. And the pastor is the biggest target of all in the church. So watch out for people who are talking about him and other leaders. Well, go on here to the attack of disobedience. And, and this last attack here is it's sort of the one that sums up everything that goes before this. On the one hand, you have the Word of God... And, and you have all the commands and all the uh, admonitions of the word. And then on the other hand, you have everything that's the opposite of what God says. And so it's like having that little angel on this shoulder who's whispering in your ear. And he's saying, don't do that, don't do that. And the little red devil on the other side. And he said, go ahead, you'll love it, it's good for you. Go ahead and do that. Get that picture out of your mind now because that's all I want. It's just an illustration. But there is an attack like this going on because you have the Holy Spirit within and the Holy Spirit is encouraging you to faithfulness and fidelity, to stand for the Lord. But then you have the devil on the outside and he's most definitely doing exactly the opposite of that. And he's working with your flesh and he's telling you that it's more fun in order for you you to be disobedient. And so if you go down all the list of God's command, 
there, there's a, a, an appeal to the flesh. There's different ways that, that Satan comes at you and says, if you do it this way, it's so much easier than that way. If you do it this way other than God's way, it'll work out so much better. You remember that in an earlier lesson, we talked about how that the sinful nature is not eradicated. As long as we're in the flesh, we have the sinful nature, and that's because the body hasn't been redeemed. Now, all the fleshly desires are still in this body. Paul wrote about that struggle, and he says, I'm trying to do the thing I ought to do. I'm trying to do what's best and right. But he also wrote this. He said, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. The body of death, in verse number 24, that's the old sinful nature that inhabits this body of flesh. We're not going to be free from that until we die. Now, thank the Lord when he comes back and this body is raised, it will be raised incorruptible. The fleshly nature will be gone. That old nature is done away with and we won't have to worry about sin anymore. But while we're alive and while we are in the flesh, You can go down the list of all of the commands and you find there that there is a fleshly resistance to doing each and every one of them. Now, we may not commit physical adultery, but we entertain thoughts about things like that. We may not steal from someone, and yet we do covet what other people have. We we may never take God's name in vain with our lips, but we do think perverse thoughts. And it may be that we do attend church every single Sunday, but the old flesh rises up and it resists that, and it really does not want us to channel our energy and our our, uh, ways and things that we want to do towards the Lord's direction. The flesh always rises up against us. So you have to have this armor because all of those natural propensities of the flesh are all still there, And the devil knows how to exploit each and every one of them. He knows how to use every one of them to his best advantage. And so if you're not walking circumspectly, the old lion, that devil, he's come to devour us. So he'll shoot one of those fiery darts, and what he does is he finds that vacant space on the body, he finds the area that's not covered, and that little old dart gets right through there, and then you find out you're headed for a fall. Satan will bring you down. And this is why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, in a few weeks when we come back from vacation, we're going to talk about these individual pieces of armor. But remember this, when you leave here tonight, make sure that you've read this and you understand, I've got to put on the whole armor of God because if I don't, I cannot stand against the devil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, so much for the time we're able to spend together tonight. We pray, Lord, you might bless our people. Help us to remember what's been said, that we might fight the devil with every ounce of being that we have. And, Lord, may we depend on the whole armor of God for our protection. Lord, we thank you for all things. Bring us back into your house on Sunday morning again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.